You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm Dale Spangler, and in this episode, my guest is Dr. Jay Cavanaugh, mental skills coach for motocross, supercross, F1, and MotoGP athletes, and the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Racing. This episode is brought to you by Moto America, home of AMA Superbike Racing and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series. Rewatch every round of the 2023 series and revisit all the season's action with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and behind the scenes video content. Look for the 2024 race schedule to be announced soon over on the MotoAmerica.com website and be sure to follow Moto America on social media for real time series updates and original content. Let's get started with this week's episode. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Dr. Jay Cavanaugh. Dr. Jay, welcome to Pit Pass Moto. How are you today? What's happening? I was good until I just did the math on how much it cost me for those two extra letters in a period. <laughs> it's like 300 grand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that just hit me. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a good one. I've never heard that before. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Them some expensive letters. Yeah. But you know, there was an ROI, but damn, 300 grand. But it's got to be nice to kind of command some respect, if you will. You know, everybody calling you Dr. J all the time, and it's, you know, that's cool. Yeah, like for it. the first couple of years, it's cool. And then you realize when you're about 32 to 37 years of age that on paper, you're the man that women want to marry so they can have kids in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so it can get pretty gnarly in that 32 to 40 range. So once you get a little bit older where I'm at, you don't have to worry as much. So yeah. Now you just kind of do your thing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you on because uh, the mental aspect of racing. I mean, I feel like until recently, it was just such an often overlooked aspect of racers programs. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you really pay attention to some of the legends in sport, um, Jeremy McGrath talked to someone back in the day, you know, others in F1. You know, I know one guy that helped an F1 athlete 20 years ago, but this is at the pinnacle of sport. This is, you know, the top 1% of the 1% in, in all different sports. However, I'd say in the last like 15, 20 years, it started to gain popularity, probably a little bit more. I'm a little bit biased in the last couple of years, but there's still a lot of resistance, especially in motorsports and especially in motocross, uh, supercross. Obviously, I've worked with clients in those sports and, and several others. A lot of it is just how you frame it, right? Some people think that it means that they're broken or something's off. And it's like, no, it's just that, you know, you optimize your suspension, you optimize the engine on your bike, you know, your fundamentals. But I'm always like the last person that someone calls 
but it would probably be a little bit more sensible to include me in all of it at the beginning. And I've had a couple athletes that have I've worked with as young as 10. And I'll tell you right now, if you have my 11-year-old guy on this podcast, he could roll with you all day long and probably do just as good as I'm going to do. That's how dialed he is. But that's the time you want to get people in for it. Yeah, it almost seems like it, it's like you kind of alluded to. It's a little bit of a taboo subject in a lot of ways. Like some people just feel like you're not being tough if you, if you show any kind of mental weakness, whereas it's the opposite, it seems like, in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, you have to look at the repercussions of it, right? So the thing is like, okay, let's say you don't do anything. Well, what does it look like if you don't do anything? Well, uh, we see some athletes that will override, right? Because they're hyper-focused on results. So their, their risk profile goes up. They tend to crash a little bit more. They tend to have a running tab at the local ER. <laughs> and so that's a risk factor. You know, don't forget, your parents are investing four and a half, five hours, maybe to drive to a further away track. 12 grand, 15 grand into a bike, uh, entry fees, gas, gear. Then afterwards, you know, very few people on that drive of shame home that maybe don't perform to the potential that they know they can. Um, very few people are talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I really seem to let my elbows drop or, you know, I really forgot the fundamentals. It's always the same thing where it's like, ah, oh, you know, I couldn't get out of my own way. I couldn't get out of my head. Or one that we hear a lot is riders will do really well in practice and then they'll kind of choke when it comes to game time, you know, or the race. You also hear a ton of people say, well, I just couldn't get comfortable, you know, couldn't get comfortable. Okay, well, I know what that means. Do you know what that means? And if you've used that excuse for five years, how many times has you not being comfortable and you not knowing what that means and how to modulate it cost you? You know, and when you do it as a function of time, especially for athletes that have been competing for maybe more than five years, it can really add up. Yeah, it's funny. You, you mentioned the, you know, like some people can practice so well and then they get to the race. I mean, that seems like a total like red flag. You know, it's like an F1. I think of Charles Leclerc, like he's like such a good qualifier and you just can't seem to put it together in the race. You know, I think that's such a fascinating subject. And you even kind of alluded to that on your website where you had this really cool little poll where you said, what percentage of racing is mental? And the response from people like Jeremy Albrecht, AJ Cantzaro was like 70 to 90 percent. I'm going, like, if it's, if guys like that know this, you know, I'm just thinking, why aren't we focusing on it more? And why did it take so long? As we alluded to, it just seems like it's just one of those subjects where people just aren't willing to fully open up yet. Oh, for sure. And if you have paid close attention to AJ Catanzaro's post lately, you know, instead of him talking about Fox racing gear or an upcoming school, he actually had a book recommendation, which is Dr. Max Maltz's Psycho-Cybernetics. And it's a great book, but of all the things he could have posted, that was the topic, right? So when you think of like someone like Charles Leclerc in F1, which I'm a big F1 fan, um, and you say, okay, well, how come he's so good? I mean, God, he's so good at qualifying. But then in the race, things seem to fall apart. Um, a lot of times that's because people tend to hyper-focus on results and they hyper-focus on things they cannot control. And when they do that, they initiate the fight, flight, or freeze response. And that can look different for different athletes, different competitors. But a lot of times they don't realize that a result is a byproduct of how you do the thing, right? And if you focus on how you're doing the thing, more specifically, you know, how are, what do you focus on? What is your narrative? What is your intention? Where is your emotional state at? Once you start to become more aware of some of the levers you can pull, you start to get really empowered. And what usually will happen with athletes is once you 
get them to a point where they have a win. And when I say a win, I don't mean like a win, mean like, like end up on the podium, but a win where there's like a moment where that's like an aha moment. Yeah. Once they have one or two of those aha moments or maybe three, or if one is, even if there's one that's really emotionally charged, um, they all of a sudden get a taste of what the mental game can do. And now all of a sudden they're off to the races. And, and so my job is to try to get people to that point. You know, what's funny though, you look at someone like Yuki Sonoda, you know, he has the most entertaining in-car radio conversation. So good. Right? So good. I mean, complete meltdown. <laughs> like, dude, you're making millions a year. You're in an F1 car. You're in the, the most elite sport of motorsports, the pinnacle, top 20 guys. And you're at this level having emotional meltdowns. It's ridiculously absurd to me. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Like my wife and I are pretty into F1 and we just, we always look for like, what's Yuki going to do this week? Is he, when's he going to blow up? When's he going to explode on the track? You know, he's, so, <laughs> he's crazy. I'm curious to know, like how much of mental training in your opinion is, is really just kind of letting go of like negative loops that we potentially get stuck in mentally? So our brain, just so you know, is wired with a bias towards negativity. And the reason why that exists is because, you know, a lot of people don't realize that in modern day society, we forget that our body hasn't evolved as quickly as technology, right? So the way that I think and the way maybe Yuki reacts emotionally is from like a, his lizard brain, right? <laughs> That's where it's from. And this is, this is tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years old, you know, so you have to look back there and what you, what happens when you look back into those days, you know, a uh, hundred thousands of years ago, what was our main goal, right? The body's main goal was to stay safe, right? Everything centers around that. And so in order for you to stay safe, it developed a negativity bias. So it's like, Hey, should we go in this cave? You know, modern day guys like, bro, great Instagram reel. Let's do it. Let's go in the cave and see if there's anything that's going to kill us in there. You know, modern day, who cares, right? Yep. But back in the day, food was scarce. Energy was scarce. That's why fear, fear of other people's opinions, fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of rejection. You know, there's so many fears that we have. And also, like I said, that negativity bias we have. So you kind of want to lean into it, right? Because you can't fight your genetics because they're not going anywhere. So what you want to do is kind of work with them almost kind of like, uh, you know, I, I always think of um, Bruce Lee and he talks about like, you know, be water. And it's like, you know, you don't want to be like resisting things because what you resist persists, right? Mm -hmm. So like if all of a sudden your wife <laughs> cheats on you with whoever, some guy at work, that sucks. But the more you think about it, the bigger it gets. So what you focus on expands. And the more that you fuel it and you add energy to it, the longer it's going to take for you to get over it because that's how our brain works is every memory or experience we have has like an emotional tag with it. And so there's so many levers you can work on. You can work on how you manage negative thoughts when they come into your mind. With me, if I have a negative thought come into my mind or if I have an athlete that I'm working with that has one, you always want to shine a light on it and be like, oh, hey, look who's here. You know, Mr. Doubt, right? Here he is again. <laughs> Been dealing with this asshole. Can I swear? Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, been dealing with this guy since I was seven, and here he is again. You know, but you want to kind of lean into things and not resist things because what you resist persists. And so you really want to ask yourself, okay, well, where did this negative thought come from? All right, it came from here. It came from this belief. Okay, well, we need to start working on that belief a little bit more. Oh, and by the way, negative thought, really appreciate you stopping by. 
doors on the left, adios. And then you you replace that with something because if you don't fill it with something, it will fill it with yet another negative thought usually. But if you intentionally focus your thoughts on something that serves you, then you can fill that space that was once visited by negativity with something maybe a little bit more intentional, a little bit more positive, a little more focused in, in a way that serves you. So there's a lot of things that you can do with that. I feel like personally, when I get stuck, I just go for a walk and somehow that just snaps me out of it somehow, because otherwise I'll just stay obsessed with something until I can resolve it, you know? And so I guess everybody probably has something they, that they can deal with that negativity and, and be able to push it out and, and like you say, replace it with something positive. Walking is a great one because what you have to realize is what we usually struggle with is not the thought. We struggle with the emotion the thought causes, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm thinking of jumping off a bridge, that thought doesn't really have any value until like you feel it in your body, right? And so that's why a lot of times thoughts create feelings. But then also what's interesting is that feeling then cycles through and creates a similar thought. And that's where you get caught up in what I call the vortex. But to your point, when you go walking, what you're basically doing is you're taking those emotions, you know, that are in your body, which are giving, because think about it, you didn't say, I think stuck, you said, I feel stuck. Mm -hmm. So you feel stuck because it's an emotion, and emotions are in your body, and thoughts are in your mind. And so when you move your body, you can actually move those emotions, move that energy elsewhere. And then also, um, you know, visually, there's a lot of things that are novel, and there's, you know, there might be a car driving by, there might be a hawk, you might see a deer, right? So there's all these things for you visually to shift your focus to, which decreases the chances of you still fixating on the thing. Whereas right now where I'm sitting, I'm sitting in a room that I'm actually remodeling in my house. So it's actually quite bare. And so I have two vases, a TV and some drapes. That's about it. There's not much in here. So if I was stuck, and I just sat here, there's nothing that's going to get me out of the situation I'm in. And so that's why a lot of times people will do motocross. Yeah. I know for a fact, because this is what got me into it. This is where you're free from your problems. You know, that's why it's like throttle therapy, right? You go out and it's really because you're shifting your focus and attention on something else. Beautiful thing. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your personal business, Rack Racing, which stands for Random Acts of Kindness. When and how did this business begin and what all does it entail? Yeah, so back in the day when I got my first two clients, uh, maybe like seven, eight years ago, whatever it was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a business. It's going to be mental performance coaching. So I taught at a camp with AJ Canzaro and Tyler Bowers, got my first two clients. It was re really cool. At the time, what I did was I took all the money that I made from these younger athletes and I said, hey, what I'm going to do with the money that you pay me, I'm going to just go do random acts of kindness with it. Because at the time, I was doing pretty well with like my, my main hustle. That turned into a nonprofit. 
And then, um, you know, I kind of moved away from taking all the proceeds and giving them away because I'm like, wow, that's not really sustainable for me to build a business. (laughs) So then I started just making it like a percentage. And then eventually just got to the point where um, the nonprofit was able to sustain itself. And then I just made it a business that now is, you know, a six figure business and serves me well and serves my clients well. And, you know, we started in motocross, then we moved to supercross. Uh, we did pro golf. We're now actually hyper-focused on tennis, formula drift. Um, I feel like I'm missing something. Pickleball? Oh, trust <laughs> me. Yeah, that's a huge sport. If you can get past the noise complaints, it's, it's supposedly uh, the fastest growing sport out there right now. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, I saw another thing that you founded called the Vibe Mindset, building emotional intelligence skills that removes the the governor holding us back from making the best decisions possible. I like that statement, by the way. Yeah, so Vibe Mindset was a thing during the pandemic when we were all like staying at home bored out of our minds. So I kind of started to reflect back on some of the clients I've had and some of the wins I had with those clients. And I was like, wow, you know, I'd really like to bring a lot of this to like the general public. I started realizing like, wow, maybe I should take some of the mental performance coaching for athletes and see if there's a way that I can maybe expand it out to the general public. And what I realized is the key to it all is like, what's your vibe? That's everything, right? Because how you define an experience is how you felt, right? That's because the end point of any experience is an emotion. And so in order for us to be the best leader, be the best husband, be the best school teacher, be the best rider, best athlete, a big part of it is we've got to manage our emotions. And one of the ways that you can do that is with emotional intelligence. And that covers things such as like your social skills, your self-regulation, your self-awareness, which is numero uno times 10, which is um, being aware of how you're thinking, feeling, and acting. Because that's the mistake that people make is they have no idea. They're like, wow, you know, today just wasn't a good day. Well, what'd you focus on all day? I can find out why you're happy or why you're not, but just saying, hey, what were you focused on? Because where you focus your energy and attention is the single most powerful thing that you can manage because they actually did a study with, um, I don't know if it was a study, I think it was an observation. So let me, let me reword that. Uh, a guy that I look up to in the business space, he works with guys that do really well. And he said the one thing that he noticed about the haves and the have nots, you know, the successful versus the unsuccessful is it comes down to, where are you placing your focus, energy, and attention? So a take-home message is if you're not feeling the way you want to feel, question one is, what's my vibe? First, identify what your feeling is. Give it a name. I feel lethargic. I feel calm. I feel at peace. Whatever it is, first identify, you know, give it a little bit of a label, color it up a little bit, and then ask yourself, like, well, what have you been focused on? And so once you shift your focus, your emotions often will shift with them. That's why it's important to also master the art and skill of letting go, which also could be called like resilience or bouncing back, which is to actually let go to the of, of the emotional attachment you have to experiences, right? So like back in the day, I was really good at, I, I would say if I was trying to meet women, I would go out and if I went to a bar, I had no problems just going up and asking someone out because if they say no, like I just don't care, right? <laughs> you know, whatever my success rate was, two or let's say it's 5%. That means you have to ask out 20 women to get like one maybe or one yes. The way to do it is to not put so much emphasis, meaning, and importance on the result if the result is not optimal. And you can see how that relates to racing, right? Absolutely. Everyone wants to win, right? Yep. But when you don't win, 
what kind of meaning, value, and importance do you put on it? And my whole thing is if I don't win a race, it's because I didn't, I didn't have the right inputs. So I shouldn't have won. If you don't win a race, 99% of the time, you probably shouldn't have won it. So why are you going to be pissed off that you didn't come up with the right ingredients to get the desired result? Why would you get upset over that? And so one of the things that you can do is you can really manage the meaning, value, and importance you place on things so that therefore you can actually modulate how quickly you let go. And that's important because tell me if you've seen this, guys will crash once, right? Then they get up, they start the bike, and then they go out and they do their thing and then they crash again. Why? Because they didn't let go. Their process for letting go is, oh man, just shrug it off. Just shrug it off? Like that, that's your process? <laughs> That, that's like saying, hey, let's work on your bike. Yeah, let's just work on my bike. What does that even mean? Work on your bike? Work on what? Right? There's no clarity. And if you don't have clarity, you're confused. So you always want to have clarity with anything you do. And you always want to be curious about why you get the results you do. Because once you get curious, you gain clarity. Once you have clarity, you have direction. When you have direction, you can start changing the direction that your career is going, your life's going, your income's going, your race results are going. What's my vibe? I love that term. That seems like such a great lesson to take away from this. I also want to point out that I think it's cool, like you talk about the vibe mindset, you know, kind of trickling over into helping maybe some business, you know, like a CEO of a company, you know, improve their mindset. To me, the, the racer mindset just translates so well. I mean, how many racers do we know, like when they're done racing, they go on to be successful business people or whatever they choose to do, because I feel like they have that mindset that they carry with them through the rest of their life. Oh, exactly. And it's a process. It's how you do things, right? It's not what you do as much as it's how you do it. One of the athletes that I've worked with for a couple of years now, last season, all we worked on in the off season was leadership. That was it. Leadership. I'll tell you that paid dividends. <laughs> if you're if you're an athlete that's on a team, you better know how to lead. You know, everyone's always looking for someone you're like a Tom Brady, right? Like think about it. Tom Brady is legend, right? A big part of his legendary success is because he was on a team that won. Now, did he contribute to that as far as like his actual playing skills? Absolutely. But I would argue that if you were able to somehow dissect it, I'll bet you anything his leadership skills and how he led the team had a greater impact and influence than did his ability to throw the ball. And so um, I actually do work with CEOs. I have one CEO in particular in his business has grown substantially through our work because it's all the same thing. You know, like the conversations I have with my CEO, very similar to the ones I have with my pro athletes. There's another quote that kind of segues perfectly into it. The quote is, change your narrative, change your life. And I think you did a little short video clip on this, but it's like remove limiters like always and never from your kind of internal language. Oh, for sure. And I'll tell you right now, if you were to do one thing, just start paying attention to the damn conversations you're having with yourself because half of them are bullshit. Half of them are their lies. Half of them aren't true. Like, ah, oh, geez, you know, it's going to be a rough weekend. Based on what? Like, the weekend hasn't even happened yet. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez, I'm not really looking forward to Loretta's. Okay, based on what? How are you going to do at Loretta's if your conversation is that you're not even looking forward to it? And more importantly, why are you not looking forward to it? Could you find a way to look forward to it? You know, but a lot of times, we have these conversations or narratives of self-talk that goes on constantly in our minds, right? I mean, we have 60,000 thoughts a day, right, on average, which, trust me, the first time I heard that, I'm like, this guy doesn't have a, that's right. But once you're in this game for a while, 40 to 60,000, we'll call it, right? Thoughts a day. Well, those thoughts become things, and those 
thoughts also become conversations. Imagine it, and, I, and I'm just throwing out a number. Let's just say 20% of the conversations you have with yourself are not based on truth, right? So they're false narratives based on limiting beliefs, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Mistakes and failure are bad. These are the three biggest uh, limiting beliefs that we have. And they feed into the narratives that we have, right? And so think of like a plant, right? Like um, everything you see above ground is like the narrative. It's something that you can keep an eye out. It's the conversations you're having with yourself. It's the things that moto dads are saying to their kids, right? Those are the things you can see and hear and witness above the ground. Those are the narratives, right? And beneath the ground are the roots. Those are the beliefs. And those beliefs are the foundation. Those are the roots. That's where the power is. And so what you want to do is you want to really pay close attention to the conversations you have with yourself, the conversations, if you're a parent, that you have with your children, and really try to walk backwards and see if you can figure out what kind of limiting belief you might have. Now, some of these might be beliefs that do serve you, right? Like if I think I'm the number one mental coach, whether it's true or not, I don't care. I sit there all the time. I'm like, dude, I'm I'm the number one mental coach in the world. I keep saying that narrative because I want to start believing it. So I'm reverse engineering the belief, right? Everyone thinks you need to believe in yourself first, but when you want to change a belief or build a belief, you got to have a narrative that supports it. Then you also can't just talk about it. You have to find evidence, create evidence to support the belief. So usually what I'll do is if I have a belief that I want to create, I will come up with narratives that support the belief and also come up with tiny actions I can take that create the evidence to support the belief. And then what I do is I just get in my reps and then I wrap and then I wrap and then I wrap. And then eventually the belief becomes a thing, right? Because that's how beliefs start anyways. If you keep telling yourself you're a loser long enough, well, you eventually adopt the belief. So why not tell yourself you're a winner? But everyone's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not cocky. I like to be humble. All right, good. I'll, I'll, I'll see you, but I ain't going to be at the podium, bro. You're going to be sitting there in last place the rest of your life. And if you're fearful of being courageous enough to say that you're the man or for me to say I'm the number one mental coach, if you have a problem with that, I don't know. I think society's got a big problem with aiming high and having these targets. Like, do you think Hayden Deegan and the Deegan family are just sitting there being like, oh, Hayden, you know, let's be super humble this week. You know, you're not number one. No, they're like, dude, you're the freaking man. Let's go out. Let's rip it. You know, and then what happens is you say you're the man first, then you become it, right? But you have to have the belief first, right? So like if you want to become a champion, you have to believe you're a champion before you earn the championship, whereas everyone else does it the opposite. They say, oh, well, if I win a championship, then I'll believe in myself. Best of luck. Well, I noticed that uh, you know many of the testimonials that I, I watched from your athletes you've worked with, I noticed uh, you know consistently throughout, most of them expressed how your mental coaching has been life-changing for them. And I feel like you know, it's affecting their daily lives by improving their overall self-confidence, I would assume. So, I mean, that's got to be a super rewarding aspect of what you do. Yeah, that's the most rewarding part. I had an athlete message me that I hadn't worked with for maybe like four years, a female athlete. And she said, hey, the stuff we worked on uh, with boundaries, I'll tell you, I want to thank you because I needed that. And recently, boy, did it pay off. So, you know, I hear that all the time. Or, I bump into even the athletes from the day I started this and I bump into them and just seeing the success that they've had, seeing how they've grown, it's definitely rewarding. And so, you know, it's tough because where I struggle is 
it's kind of like if you dre- if you know like if you ate something like you go to a restaurant and you're like damn this food is so good and you just tell everyone about it imagine if you told like 20 people about this thing that was the most amazing enchilada you ever had and then everyone's like oh yeah cool i got to scroll on instagram for another half hour <laughs> and so sometimes it's tough because you realize that there's so much power in it um but a lot of people don't believe that they can create their own reality right like i wake up and before my two feet hit the ground I literally decide what my day will be like, right? So if you wake up, you wake up and you do your normal routine, you do this, you do that, and you're on autopilot, you're conserving energy by doing, And because don't forget, the brain is designed to conserve energy. That's why habits are so powerful is because they don't take a lot of thought and your brain burns 20% of your energy. So we have a habitual pattern of thinking, feeling, acting the same. And don't forget, how you think and how you feel is who you are and who you are is what you get. So our realities never change because we don't change the way we think. We don't change or build um, new character traits or habits, right? We just kind of like, oh, yeah, man, that this is just what that's how it's always been. <laughs> okay, if you're cool with that, dude, you, trust me, I'm jealous. If you're cool with being the same thing, same person you've always been, great grandpa, you, dad, and all that, dude, you probably live a much easier life than I do, and I'm probably a little jealous. But I just always want to be pushing. I want to be growing. I want to see what my limit is. That's what athletes do, right? Like we want to know, like we want to break through the barriers. We want to break through these glass ceilings. And the only way to do that is to be awake, be conscious and be like, no, like I'm going to create my reality. And before I get out of bed, I think of the emotion that I want to feel, right? I don't think it, I don't think of tasks. I think of the feeling that I want, right? What do I want to feel today? If I had a lot of things to do, I don't think about the things I want to do. I think about what it's going to feel like to feel pride, accomplishment, the satisfaction of getting some stuff that's been weighing on my mind. And I actually marinate in that feeling ahead of it happening, right? So I'm priming my mind and my body. I'm priming everything to already think from the end, to already think from the result from a feeling standpoint. Then I ask myself, what version of myself needs to show up today to achieve this desired feeling. So it's intention and execution. That's the cadence. And that's how I start my morning. And it gets me some pretty insane results. Well, the way you explain everything, it just all makes so much sense. And it's just like a bunch of light bulbs going off for me. So (laughs) I feel like I've learned so much already. But I wanted to bring up one more subject as we kind of close this down here this episode. But, you know, I feel like there's still a little bit of an elephant in the room for many racers with the aspect of overall mental health and well-being. And I I feel like it's been good because there has been some... uh, I think it's Road to Recovery is doing a series where they're kind of shining a little bit of light more on athlete mental health. It's been nice to see that a little bit more because let's just face it, we all in a lot of ways can just kind of be super tough. But on the flip side of that, we also have to take care of our overall mental health. And so it's good to see um, that there's being a little bit more focus on it. You know, I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately in our sport, there's been a lot of a lot of suicide. And I don't know if it's disproportionate to other sports. I can't comment on that. I don't know the numbers, but it feels like it is. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of us get into riding because some of us did grow up and we had some dark shit going on. And so our only outlet was to ride. You know, it's a little different. You know, usually little Johnny, when he goes to play baseball, is because little Johnny's dad, he's making, you know, 155 a year, uh, I'm, I'm going to make some assumptions here. 155 a year, but never, you know, went pro in baseball. Wants little Johnny to have all the tools he didn't have, so he gets him the cute cleats, gets him all this. They do batting practice. Dad loves this kid. Dad, you know, they go for a walk, they get ice cream, yada yada yada. 
But what I find is <laughs> in motocross, supercross, um, I feel there's a disproportionate number of suicides. You know, I feel that there's a lot of people that I've met in this sport where there's either drugs, there's drinking. And, you know, I sometimes feel like some of the friends I've made over the years are the best people ever in motocross, like blue collar, do anything for you. Working 16 hour days is like, whatever, who cares? Let's grind. There's definitely like a lot of like a grind mentality, a lot more blue collar. You know, I grew up in a blue collar home and um, I just feel like some of racing, there is a dark side, you know, all of us, every single one of us can mention someone that's taken their life. And, you know, the way that I look at it, you know, it's kind of like what they say in school where like, well, if you have a question, then, you know, there's 50 other kids have a question. Well, if one person took his life, then there's 50 others that are thinking about it in my mind, right? That's how I look at it. You know, that's, that's where it stings, right? Because it's like, I don't know about you guys, but I think about how long this planet's been here. And I think about how many Neanderthals have come and gone. How cool is it to think there was some Neanderthal relative of mine that was just killing things with his bare hands. And then eventually, tons of generations later, here I am sitting on the couch wondering why my Roku's not getting, you know, <laughs> reception. Bored. You know, and, and you know, and so with me, the way that I look at life is a little different. I try to honor as weird as this sounds, I think about the Neanderthal great, 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 great grandfather I had times 40, right? That I had. And I'm like, dude, I ain't letting that guy down. That guy struggled. That, that mother, he did everything it took. He would climb a mountain to get some blueberries, right? You know, I actually look back and, and I have a different perspective on life. And so we've all gone dark places and some of us wouldn't even be willing to talk about it. And that's fine. But the thing is, is why is it we don't have the tools for it? Because to me, the number one and two things that we should be taught in school are one, finance, and they also don't teach us how to manage our mindsets. And so, you know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you might say that that's, you know, a form of control and not letting the general population, that the peasants get too powerful. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know. But, you know, I'm not going to be the peasant that's going to be controlled. I'm going to figure all this out. But I do feel that there's still a stigma. It's very clear. You know, it's all the frame on it, right? Everyone thinks that means that they're broken. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so what? <laughs> who cares? What do you do? You, do you think Donald Trump isn't having panic attacks right now? You know, yeah, he might look like the man. Do you come on? Do you think like Machine Gun Kelly hasn't thought about jumping off a bridge? Like, I'm sorry, bro. All of us have struggled. So the question is, is you know, why haven't we all embraced it? Why haven't we found better processes and way of talking? And and I don't know what the answer is, and I don't know how to fix it. I just know that if I can do one little piece, one little part. To, to be a part of the solution and, and then I, I feel good, you know? So that's how I live. Yeah, I feel like also it's just, it's an aspect of it though. Like what you're doing with this mindset, I'm sure that comes about a little bit, you know, a self-confidence, self-esteem, whatever you want to call it to where it's got to help, you know, I would imagine in a lot of cases. So yeah, for sure. I think what you're doing is, is obviously, you know, it's a noble cause to be, you know, teaching people how to, how to think and how to feel good about themselves. And so, uh, it's it's a good trend. What I feel like we're seeing in our sport, seeing more people like you come in and teach people how to act and how to how to perform and, and just be uh, proud of themselves, you know. So really appreciate your time so much today, Doctor J. Um, how can athletes out there learn more about rack racing and the services you provide? 
Yeah, a couple different ways. So one, just don't forget, Rack Racing is R-A-K, random acts of kindness, hyphen racing.com. So the hyphen is the line in the middle, not the underscore on the bottom. We also have a podcast called Behind the Best. Behind the Best is a podcast that talks about the people, mindset, and everything behind the best pro athletes in the world. So we interview, we just interviewed an athlete manager and branding manager. Uh, I actually um, found the number one uh, mental coach for soccer. I had him on, so that episode's coming up soon. That was pretty cool to meet him. I met with some neuroscientists. So um, a great resource as well as the Behind the Best podcast. You can find that at either behindthebest.co or to any you know Spotify, Apple Music, uh, any of the popular podcast players. And then you have Rack Racing. And then the Vibe Mindset would be more so if you're a little bit more like spiritual and maybe not a big racer. Or maybe you've got like a dad who's like 16, doesn't race and kind of wants to, you know, learn some things, then you could you could follow there. And that's the vibemindset.com. Well, thanks so much again. Keep up the great work. And uh, yeah, it's just fantastic uh, to see this coming to the sport of motocross. So thanks again for your time today, Dr. J. Appreciate it so much. Appreciate you. If you enjoyed this episode, follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmotorsports.com where you can listen to the past episodes and check out the new Pit Pass Motorsports blog powered by Podium Life, featuring articles and industry news focused exclusively on two-wheel and four-wheel motorsports. Head to pitpassmotorsports.com to check it out. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.